On this night, one individual has successfully transcended the barriers of time and space and returned to the late 18th century to relive and attempt to change one 24-hour period in history. But this night will hold a terror that is eerily familiar, for it is the terror at Collinwood. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Penny Dreadful, a.k.a. Danielle, and I welcome you to the podcast that celebrates dark shadows. I have a few news bites for you before we jump into today's show, so let's get right to it. Mitchell Ryan's new autobiography is out. It's called Fall of a Sparrow. And of course, Mitchell Ryan played Burke Devlin in Dark Shadows. Uh, He was the first and the archetypal uh, Burke Devlin. When I think, no offense to Anthony George, but when I think Burke Devlin, when I hear that name, Mitch Ryan is uh, the actor who comes to mind. He owned that role. It's sort of like uh, Alexandra Moltke with Victoria Winters. You know, uh, when I think Vicky, it's Alexandra. And it's the same with Burke, especially if you watch all those pre-Barnabas episodes. Because Mitch Ryan, he wasn't in a ton of episodes once Barnabas came in before uh, Anthony George took over. But if you watch the pre-Barnabas episodes, he's a huge player in those episodes. Anyway, Fall of a Sparrow is out. It is his autobiography. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, He's had an incredible career spanning decades. He's in his 90s now, uh, and it is available now. All right. Well, I am all about sharing the love on Terror at Collinwood, and I want to let you know about other Dark Shadows podcasts that are out there. In fact, I recently found out about a Dark Shadows podcast that I had no idea existed, and it predates this one by about a month and a half, I think, or a couple months. I think they started in March of 2020, and I started in, I think I posted my first episode May 1st, 2020. And this podcast is called Between the Shadows and it's hosted by Kristen and Kara Tillits. Uh, I believe they're sisters and they're going storyline by storyline and they're uh, discussing their thoughts on it and giving their feelings about it and discussing the characters and in a, in a similar vein to what I'm doing here. Clearly they love the show uh, and it is a cool podcast. I encourage you to check it out. It's on YouTube, but it's also on the podcast streaming apps like Apple Podcasts. I'll post a link to their YouTube channel in the YouTube description for this episode of Terror at Collinwood so you can find them. I ran across them and I I was really excited to see there was yet another Dark Shadows podcast. But wait, there's more. There's also Resident of Collinwood. He is on YouTube and he does a variety of topics pertaining to Dark Shadows and other horror topics as well. He has guests on. Definitely check out Resident of Collinwood. I will link to his channel too. But wait, there's more. Of course, uh, there is the Literary License podcast, which is not just a Dark Shadows podcast. They discuss a variety of topics. For example, they talk about Bewitched. They also do book to screen. They talk compare a, a, a book to a movie. They also talk about the TV show Soap, but they have a devoted Dark Shadows episode discussion, and they interview a lot of the actors and people who worked on the show. I've had Tom Diamond on this show as a guest, uh, and I've been on the Literary License show myself. For those who are more into the fanfic side of things, there is 
the Pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows podcast, which features a wild crossover fanfic that's ongoing. It's been going for quite a while and uh, it mixes Dark Shadows with like the Adams Family, for example. Like they're, they're, they have quite a few different properties uh, and fandoms that get into the mix. Uh, it's quite humorous uh, and it's uh, it's been going for a while. So that one's Pit of Ultimate Dark Shadows. There are also podcasts that are no longer running, but are worth checking out uh, the archives for. Of course, there's the Collinsport Historical Society podcast, which is well worth seeking out. There's some great interviews there. There are great topics that are discussed. That one is available on all of the podcast apps. And there is also The Drawing Room. And that podcast cast was going for a while and it was a, a husband and wife Chrissy and Russ were the hosts and uh, they w- would take like a block of episodes and talk about like liter- kind of like what literary license does they take a block of episodes and we'll discuss that block of episodes I don't know if those episodes are archived anywhere though uh, and I think they did quite a they got up to like the Adam storyline I think before they they ended up pulling the plug on the podcast those episodes might be archived somewhere. If somebody knows, uh, let me know. Uh, I'd be happy to link to them, uh, but I don't know if they still exist. So those, and I'm sure I'm leaving someone out. And if I am, I apologize. It's not uh, an intentional slight. I am definitely all about, you know, informing people and spreading the love and celebrating Dark Shadows. Uh, all of these, pod- the more Dark Shadows podcasts there are, the better. Why do we do Dark Shadows podcasts? Why do we do these types of things? And I've, I've asked myself that, and I've obviously because I'm a huge fan, but also I'm probably preaching to the choir here about this, but I'm frustrated by Dark Shadows' under-representation in pop culture, and I think it's up to us, the fans, to get the word out. We shouldn't just keep Dark Shadows within the fandom, hiding it in the secret room of the mausoleum. And I, I get it. You know, we all tap into this world as fans, and it's important to us, but I also think we need to make more of an effort to share it with pop culture enthusiasts in general, uh, especially if you're a creator. Dark Shadows can and should be part of the pop culture parlance in the same way that, say, uh, Star Trek, Twilight Zone, Doctor Who are, things like that. It should have been celebrated, for example, at San Diego Comic-Con for its anniversary in the same way that 66 Batman and Star Trek were. And yet it wasn't. I think, except for Hermes Press was there, and I think that might have been the year Catherine Lee Scott and Lara Parker were there with Hermes Press. But it was sort of under the radar. It was just listed in the program, but nobody made a big deal about it at Comic-Con. Meanwhile, Star Trek and Batman were everywhere. I wore a Dark Shadows t-shirt there. I've been to San Diego Comic-Con maybe five or six times. It's a grueling experience. It's worth going to once if you love all stripes of pop culture. But I had a Barnabas shirt on and somebody came up to me and thanked me for wearing the Barnabas shirt to represent Dark Shadows at Comic-Con. Dark Shadows was a phenomenon in America in the 60s and early 70s. It was more popular than Star Trek at the time. And don't get me wrong, Certainly, Dark Shadows continues to have a presence among genre fans. It has a place in pop culture history, and it's more on the radar than, say, I don't know, Sliders or Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea or or something like that. Those shows do have followings as well, but not at the level of Dark Shadows. However, it's still not where it should be as far as I'm concerned. 
it's not at the place in sort of the pop culture lingo, the pop culture zeitgeist, where it deserves to be. Dark Shadows should be part of that discussion. It should be in the reservoir of knowledge of pop culture enthusiasts, let's put it that way, particularly when we're discussing the importance of the show in terms of gothic horror, gothic romance, dark fantasy, and forming that bridge between the 60s monster craze and the 70s monster craze. Dark Shadows was instrumental in that regard. Dark Shadows is definitely key when considering how hugely important it's been to serialized storytelling in genre television, horror, sci-fi, fantasy. Why? Because Dark Shadows created the mold for sustained serialized storytelling in genre television. That's taken for granted today by many of these shows that are that are like that. Most of the, those genre shows, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, speculative fiction shows, are serialized these days. And things like those Netflix shows or HBO or any of that stuff. You could also say Doctor Who was a key there, but those stories tended to be grouped into chapters. You know, you'd have that story of Doctor Who and it would be self-contained and then you'd have another one. And it might reference previous stories, but it was sort of a serialized in its own chapter, right? Whereas uh, Dark Shadows was a sustained ongoing serial for five years. And yes, Dark Shadows had beginnings and ends to storylines, but it was an ongoing daily serial. And of course, we know how Dark Shadows' depictions of monstrous characters, especially with regard to Barnabas, has had a massive impact on the genre. Dark Shadows is hugely important, and I'm determined to open that secret room to the mausoleum and let it loose, okay? So where did this disconnect happen? How did Dark Shadows go from having two major motion pictures, being uh, on board games, model kits, bubblegum cards, horror head pillows, being on the cover of all these teen magazines and monster magazines, etc. You know, the list goes on and on, to being relegated to only MPI home video products and occasional one-off items from other companies. Where are the Dark Shadows uh, Super 7 reaction figures and NECA statues and adult collector figures? Where are the Mego horror figures? Like I know Spectre Toys did Mego style, but now Mego itself is back with lots of horror figures. It seems like every other day there's a horror character being released. Where are the Dark Shadows figures? Where are the Dark Shadows video games and role-playing games? Where the hell is my Barnabas Collins Funko Pop? I hate Funko Pops. I'm sick of them, but I'd 100% buy a Barnabas. I'd be first in line. Where are the references to Dark Shadows or a Barnabas cameo, say, in, uh, I don't know, Simpsons Treehouse of Horror? Uh, why hasn't uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina tossed in an Angelique reference? Or better yet, had Lara Parker come in to play a role or make a cool cameo appearance? Sure, yes, there are references, for sure, in pop culture. Maybe I'll do an episode on that someday, references to Dark Shadows in, in popular culture, because that's always fun. I always get a, get a kick out of that. The most recent one that comes to mind were the, the vampires watching uh, Dark Shadows in the final season of Supernatural. And it was great to finally see that nod in a show that actually owes something to Dark Shadows. But gosh, we, we definitely need more of that. Like, that should be something that's just as common as, uh, as, as references to The Twilight Zone or Doctor Who. It just should be. Uh, and yet it isn't. It's only occasionally when you see a reference to Dark Shadows. Once in a while you see it, but not nearly enough. And not nearly as much as you see references to other things that are comparable. And I think it's because there was a disconnect along the way. There was a disconnect that happened. Like, how did Dark Shadows go from, you know, magic slates for kids and uh, Ben Cooper Halloween costumes of Barnabas to nobody in my uh, class in high school knowing what the hell Dark Shadows was? How 
how did it go from that point A to point B? And I think the disconnect happened in the syndication era in the 70s and 80s. Dark Shadows went into syndication in the 70s and then into the 80s. And that's how I watched it when I got to watch it in syndication in the 80s on the bootleg tapes that my uncle got, but then also on Channel 58 out of Vineyard Haven. But it was a big commitment for stations to carry it. Quite a few did. And and that's, again, that's how I got to see it. But we're talking a ton of episodes that had to be played every day in order. And World Vision, the syndicator, charges a lot from, from what I hear. Now it's available on streaming like Tubi and several other places where you can watch it. But for the syndication in the 70s and 80s, World Vision was charging a lot. And it was a lot for stations to keep track of all those episodes. Conversely, when you look at something like, say, Lost in Space or the George Reeves Superman. It's a lot easier for stations to carry something like that. And what I'm saying is for a whole generation in the 70s and 80s, up until the sci-fi channel era, a lot of people didn't or couldn't really watch Dark Shadows. Plenty did, but a lot couldn't because the stations weren't carrying it and wouldn't make that commitment. And thus those people didn't know what it was, or maybe they'd heard of it from a relative, but they didn't know much about it. I think that's why you occasionally see a woefully misinformed magazine writer or blog writer not mention Dark Shadows when they're writing some Halloween article about the history of horror TV. I was recently told about that by a fan that it was like some article recently about the history of horror TV or vampires or something. Dark Shadows didn't get a mention. It's sad. And it's our job as fans to politely let those writers or editors know that this was an oversight. I'm not saying don't flip out on them because you don't want to get that reputation for being, you know, crazy fan, but it's okay to let them know politely and in a reasonable way that Dark Shadows should have been in there and it was an oversight and let let them know why it was important to to have that in there. Uh, Another thing, in addition to loving Dark Shadows, I'm a huge classic horror enthusiast, especially gothic horror. I'm a big fan of that stuff. All of those classic horror films, Universal Hammer, Corman Poe, all of that stuff, uh, Bava films, uh, the literature, uh, classic horror, uh, radio plays, I, everything. I love that stuff. Uh, and as a college professor, I'm even teaching a class right now called Literary Themes Terror, and I'm incorporating some of the stories that inspired Dark Shadows storylines. And in the past, I've taught courses on Edgar Alan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft. I'm a big fan of that. Like whenever I get the opportunity to teach a class like that, I go for it. I also hosted a horror movie show on TV for 10 years and I continue to host Halloween specials. Uh, To say I'm a big fan of classic horror would be an understatement, but I've never been a fan of soap operas and I have nothing against soaps, of course. Uh, If you think General Hospital is groovy and and you love Days of Our Lives, that's awesome. But while Dark Shadows used a daily serialized format, In my eyes, it's far removed from anything I think of when I hear soap opera. And I think that label among horror fans and genre fans has somewhat stigmatized the show a little bit among those enthusiasts of that type of stuff, horror, sci-fi, fantasy. I mean, it's ridiculous, but I have seen that knee-jerk reaction coming from the background of somebody who loves classic horror, is involved in the classic horror fandom to some extent, knows a lot of people in that fandom. Um, There are plenty of people who do love Dark Shadows and they don't that's not an issue. But when some people hear soap opera, they immediately put up a wall. I'm telling you, I've seen this. And all I can say to that is, look, the gothic horror genre works very well in a serialized format. It always has. 
horror and fantasy, anything like that, it works well in, in a serialized format. I've mentioned before the Penny Dreadfuls and the Shilling Shockers, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that was a serialized story. All of that stuff, oh, Sweeney Todd, the, the String of Pearls, Varney the Vampire, all of that stuff was serialized. Dark Shadows fell right into that tradition, okay? We can use that slang phrase, soap opera, but it's also 100% speculative fiction. It starts as gothic romance right away. I mean, they're talking about ghosts, uh, and it's we don't know yet if it's metaphorical or literal, and it turns out it's both metaphorical and literal. There, there are ghosts uh, in, in many respects on the show and, and many other things, as we find out, as it transforms from gothic romance to gothic horror and dark fantasy, and this hybrid of gothic romance, gothic horror, and dark fantasy, it's all mixed in there, right? There's time travel, vampires, werewolves, witches, a cursed lottery room, a, a living severed head, a parallel universe, ghosts, warlocks, zombies, mad scientists, a, a disembodied hand that can make your desires come true, usually at a price, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, a, a mad woman locked in a room that comes right out of Jane Eyre, uh, Lovecraft craziness. I mean, come on, come on. You compare that to all my children and you're looking at something entirely different, okay? This is dark fantasy. It's gothic horror. Throw this back at people who cross their arms and look down their nose and tell you they won't watch a soap opera and tell them by that logic, modern age comic books are out the door because those are soap operas too. Most genre shows nowadays, they're all soap operas. If we're going to use that label, right? Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, all that stuff. Uh, even non-genre shows, okay? Like Breaking Bad had an ongoing soap opera structure, uh, old movie serials, comic strips. I mean, I could go on and on. And obviously I have at length and there's more to come. Uh, that stigma has got to go. And that's why I tend to refer to the show as a serial versus using the phrase soap opera because it's just, there are certain connotations attached to that. I think uh, Catherine Lee Scott referred to in her, one of her books or several of her books as, you know, uh, ladies sitting around the table uh, drinking coffee and knocking knees. That's the image that comes to a lot, a lot of people's minds when they hear soap operas. And it's like, that's not what Dark Shadows is. There are soap opera elements. The monsters fall in love. Uh, and let's not forget, I'm going to get to that in just a second, but the huge impact that Dark Shadows had on the depiction of supernatural characters as protagonists, that's massive. That was a massive, important thing that Dark Shadows did. And you could say, well, they use soap opera tropes to do that. Like the monsters on Dark Shadows all are capable of falling in love, okay? We'll, we'll get to that. Another roadblock I've seen people put up is the gripe when it comes to production values <sighs> and bloopers and stuff like that. In my opinion, those folks need an imagination tune-up, okay? You have to watch these things considering the era in which they were made and the resources available. Dark Shadows was like five live theater shows a week and churned out with intense energy. That's part of what's cool about it. Sometimes mistakes happen, but if you can't suspend your disbelief because of that, uh, time for an imagination tune-up. That's it. Uh, it's how I feel when people laugh at the effects or styles of acting in classic horror films or just classic films in general. Uh, and I'm talking about good classic movies. That makes me sad because the creativity and effort it took to make those things back then is cooler to me than something that you can make on a computer nowadays. And yeah, I understand the techniques and the technology have evolved, but it's important to also appreciate what could be done in the context uh, of when something was originally made. And, and it's important to look at Dark Shadows through that lens. Um, I, I get that it's a lot of episodes 
for the casual horror or genre fan to take in, you know, and I'm talking about if we're trying to get people into Dark Shadows to kind of get get it out there, get more awareness of it. 1,225 episodes is a lot, and most people aren't going to do the whole thing. But I think there are gateways, and I think we have to be open to sharing with our friends, okay, with which I didn't used to do. I'm this is coming a long way from somebody who used to think of Dark Shadows as my precious, my precious. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't share it with anybody. It was like my thing, like that. You know, my uncle and I would watch it. My cousin Karen, that was it. You know, it was the three of us watching. My grandmother too. I didn't really share it with my friends because it was like, I don't know, I I guess I didn't want them to, to dump on it or something, you know, like it meant a lot to me. So now I think it's important to share. And for me, I think there, it's a lot, to, a lot of episodes. When you tell somebody there are 1,225 episodes, a lot of people are going to not react well to that or say like, whoa, how am I going to watch all that? But they're gateways. 1897 is my gateway drug of choice when I suspect one of my friends is going to dig dark shadows. Um... And this is what I mean. We have to share the show instead of just keeping it to ourselves. Like this is our special thing. And I, and I get why I get the desire to do that. I also share that in some respect and certainly did when I was younger, but we need to keep dark shadows in the pop culture zeitgeist. It it still is to some extent for sure, but we need to perpetuate it more. You know, I think a good way to do that is especially if you're a creator, writer, artist, director, actor, TV show, producer, podcaster, YouTuber, etc. Put references to Dark Shadows in your work. Uh, just throw in a reference. You know, if you work on something that's horror, sci-fi, fantasy related, particularly, why not make the choice uh, to throw in a Dark Shadows reference just the way somebody will throw in a Star Wars reference, right? Uh, a Barnabas poster in the background, a reference to Colin's port, anything like that. It's that easy. Keep the spirit going, you know? Now, I ask myself the question, and I'm going to wind down here in a minute. I promise my rant will be over, but um, do I, I ask myself the question, do I want Dark Shadows to be as popular as, say, like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Marvel and DC, like something huge like that? I, I mean, if I figuratively had the hand of Patofi, like if I, if I could use the hand of Patofi to make that come true, True, would it end up disfiguring Dark Shadows? Uh, you know, if Depth Shadows had been the result of that, and if that Depth Shadows had been a huge hit, it could have potentially rewritten what Dark Shadows is in the public consciousness. And that's not a price I'm willing to pay, you know, because a lot of people know what Dark Shadows is, but a lot of people don't, especially globally. So, Dark Shadows has been on Simmer for a while. You know, there are plenty of people know what it is. A lot more people don't know what it is. And it's on Simmer, and then you get a huge hit that's a mockery of, of the show, a parody of it. Um, I'm not willing to pay that price, but I would like to see Dark Shadows at least attain a higher profile than it currently has with more pop culture awareness of it, more merchandise from different companies besides MPI, more references in other media showing that Dark Shadows is part of the public consciousness, especially horror media, you know, things like what they did in Supernatural. I'd love to see more of that. And if you're a creator and you're listening to this, why not make that choice to do that? Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement, where's where's the Dark Shadows reference in what we do in the shadow? Where's the Barnabas reference, guys? Come on, throw in just a nod to it somewhere, you know? Let's not keep it locked away in a chained coffin in the secret room. We must break the chains and let dark shadows be free to live. Live the life it deserves, whatever that may turn out to be. Okay, enough of my... (laughs) 
my insane sermon. If anybody ever questions my fandom and obsession with Dark Shadows, uh, you can you can play this for them, and then they'll know that that I ain't playing with a full deck. Probably, I guess. <laughs> At least I mean well. Okay, I want Dark Shadows to not ever fade away and to still be at the level of all these other things that are also cool. Let's keep it around. All right, let's get to the show. I am really excited to introduce my guest today, my friend, Roberta Andrade. She is a perfumer at Roberta Andrade Fragrances and studied perfumery and cosmetics at Perfumers World. She's a creative soul from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and has a love for all things spooky. Friends and family call her Robin, so you'll probably hear me refer to her as Robin uh, during the show. We've known each other for, for a number of years, and I am delighted to have her here today. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you so much, Penny Dreadful Danielle. I'm so happy <laughs> to be on your show today. Yeah, well, we both have two names. It's funny. It's yeah. <laughs> Robin and Roberta and Danielle and Penny. Which well, you know, it's really funny when I hear the when I hear the name Penny, of course, I think of Penny Dreadful and I think of you, but I also think of an old, old movie from way back in the 80s called Buckaroo Banzai. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and there was Penny, Penny Pretty. Penny Pretty, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I that love was, that. That was played by Helen Birkin. I love that you dropped a Buckaroo Bonsai reference right off the bat, like before we even got started. <laughs> you're, that's, this is a sign of good things to come, folks. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know what you're in for now. Robin and I have geeked out for many years about many different films and TV shows and, and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. So, Robin, tell, tell us about your introduction to Dark Shadows. How did you get into Dark Shadows and when? So, I was really little. So, I was one of the original fan kid fans back when I was, oh, geez, I couldn't have been more than six or seven years old because I'm the last of six kids in my family. And we we all went to a Catholic school in Taunton, Massachusetts. And so my brother, who's two years older than me, and my next sister, uh, Claudia, who you know, <laughs> we went to the same school because back then in those Catholic schools, you had everything from kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade. So we all went together and we all came home together. And Dark Shadows was becoming a thing, especially in the mid 60s, 67, 68. And this must have been about 68 because, you know, otherwise I think I would have been too young. But my first memory is just my sister Claudia uh, wanting to get us home right away for four o'clock to make sure that we could be in front of the TV to watch Dark Shadows. So, we would all like run home like dark shadows, dark shadows. And we would be running <laughs> home because no buses back then. You literally had to walk uphill both ways. And um, yeah, and we would go and and uh, and watch dark shadows. And I loved it. I loved the 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 whole atmosphere of dark shadows. It was it was gothic and gloomy, and it was there was always a thunderstorm going, and there was always lightning in the background. <laughs> blowing and and all of that and I just love that whole spooky atmosphere um about the show but that was how it started and uh, of course I was introduced to Barnabas Collins as one of the the main characters because I think by the time I started watching it I think the whole um the whole piece with uh Laura Collins and you know David's mom you know the phoenix part was was done mm -hmm. 
think I got to see that because I think I was a little too young to even have registered it as a kid. So, but I loved Dark Shadows and I loved Barnabas Collins and my mother was working at the time. So it was just the three of us. We would go home and watch this. (laughs) We get really mad at my sister. Don't let her watch Dark Shadows because she has nightmares. (laughs) And I'd be like, but I want to see Barnabas Collins. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> so I had this argument with my mother that I, I didn't care whether I had nightmares. I wanted to see dark shadows because I wanted to see Barnabas because I had a wicked crush on him, even though he was the, the evil guy. He was also so <laughs> suave and, you know, and sophisticated and, you know, had an accent and a whole bit. He was very attractive to me. Um, so <laughs> that's how it all started. And I have to tell you one thing before I forget. To this day, I have a Pavlovian trigger. Anytime it's thundering and lightning outside, I want to watch episodes of Dark Shadows. Perfect time to watch it. Definitely. Isn't it cool? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Just you get that urge when you hear it. It's that association with the thunder. And oh, I love it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though it was a, a daytime show, it's such a perfect now that we have, you know, home video and streaming it, we can watch it anytime and it works so well at night. It's such a great time to watch it when it's nighttime. And if it's a, a rainy night or or even a rainy afternoon, thunderstorms oh, yeah. out, it's just perfect atmosphere yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, it really now, is. Yeah. Now, did you continue uh, watching it uh, once you discovered it uh, all the way through or you, was it like an on and off thing or did you yeah. keep yeah, it was kind of on and off. Um, I watched it when when we were kids. And then, you know, I think it either it was either something where my my parents finally went out and didn't let me watch it anymore. <laughs> 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 or um, it changed the time. I don't recall if it stayed on the same time at four o'clock every afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did kind of lose. I kind of lost track with it for quite a while. Um, did end up seeing some of the um, the episodes from the 90s and, and some mm-hmm. of the movies. And I, I love those as well. And then I think before the unfortunate movie with Johnny Depp, I started <laughs> to watch it again. Um, I actually, I think it was one of those rainy, you know, thundery sort of summer afternoons. And it was like, ooh, Dark Shadows. Let me see if I can find that on YouTube. And I found like someone who had a real big cache of them on YouTube. And I started watching them again. And I got up to like episode 250 something where Willie finally finds Barnabas and Barnabas comes back and all of that. And whoever had this cache of the Dark Shadows episodes got busted because of copyright um, copyright infringement. And I couldn't watch anymore. And I was like, no. So... I finally got the box set and started watching the box set. The coffin box, right? You, you pick yes, that up. I have yes, I have the coffin box. Yeah. Yes. Oh, great. Yeah, that coffin box set is uh, is pretty epic. And of course, now all of the episodes too are on um, the Tubi app, uh, yes. which is free. Yep, with commercials, yep. but yep. you know, it's uh, they're they're all on there, easily accessible. And they're on other places too. Pluto uh, has mm-hmm. them too, but they're they don't have Pluto doesn't have them all, uh, but they have a lot of them. And then uh, decades plays part of the show, but not all of it usually during right. the mm-hmm. Right. Now, I think it's Pluto um, allows you to see it, but it's sort of like, it's like they have a Dark Shadows channel, right? And yeah. mm-hmm. you can only watch whatever they're showing at that time. So you can't, and I've noticed like I've watched it at night and they'll have one 
area of the whole story going on. Then if you watch it during the day, they might actually be playing it from a different place. It's not, it's not, contigu it's not contiguous. Is yeah. what I so uh, it's Pluto's not the I I don't think Pluto's yeah the ideal place to go I think to if you don't have the the DVDs I think yeah definitely Tubi is the way to go mm -hmm. and um, I think they're on Amazon too but I they think are. You have to pay yeah yeah yep yeah so Dark Shadows is plenty which is funny because back in the um you know in the 70s and in, in the 80s like you really and even into the 90s until the sci-fi channel started running it you had to like really have it in syndication in your area to be able uh -huh. to watch it in reruns. Do you remember catching any uh, syndicated episodes um, in around the area? I know we grew up around the same areas, you know, like, do you remember any any airings at that time in the early 80s or anything? I really don't. I, I want to say that perhaps at one point in time, they might have been playing it on channel 56. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. right. I think they did at night, like really late, like at 11 o'clock at night or so. I think yeah. so briefly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. And then I think, and then I know my uncle Val had gotten like bootleg tapes, gen no, fifth generation copies from out, out of state, and mm -hmm. but uh, which had Bar the Barnabas episodes and then 1795 and then Channel 58 out of Vineyard Haven uh, out in the Cape, which was a, a UHF station, started playing it and he got a roof antenna so we could watch it. And I think that was, that must have been sometime in the mid 80s when we were watching that at that point. But it was like, yeah. it's one of those things where you like had to know where it was to, to get it. Right. Um, yeah. But, oh, awesome. And I'm glad, I'm so glad you got that coffin box set because that thing is amazing. Now today, since, since you have, uh, you know, been exploring all the different storylines, you know, uh, filling in the gaps in a lot of ways uh -huh. here. Um, there's this, there's one particular storyline that I thought would be really fun to talk about with you, which is the return to 1796. The 1795 storyline in Dark Shadows is iconic. Uh, it mm -hmm. was the storyline that followed the introduction of Barnabas story, and it gave us the full-blown origin of Barnabas Collins and introduced right. Angelique into the show. It was a major storyline. It was mega popular uh -huh. uh, and iconic, and it had a massive impact on the series because they kept returning to it. Dan Curtis loved 1795 and the show would either have a dream sequence where you'd see 1795. There'd be brief flashbacks to it leading up to this. There were uh, there was a Eve who, who was brought to life using the spirit of Danielle Roger, who, you know, mm. she, there was a whole flashback scene with uh, where she went back. Uh, she had a relationship with Peter Bradford, pre-Vicky, all of this. So we saw mm -hmm. some glimpses of, of this storyline. I, I say 1795 slash 1796 because the year changes mid storyline. But right. uh, now we've, it's, this is such an interesting little storyline. It's like an island in the middle of another storyline mm -hmm. because the Quentin ghost storyline started. The werewolf storyline has yeah. started at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, Victoria Winters has been drawn back into the past by Peter Bradford. Vicky has been gone for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, we're getting signs. Something really bad has happened to Vicky in the past, right? And yes. uh, the first 
sign of this, the beginning of this storyline within a storyline is um, Vicky's clothes appear in the wardrobe in Collinwood. And then the music box, Josette's music box shows up and inside of the music box, there's a note that says, I am alone. Help me help. <laughs> right. Me. Right. And so Barnabas feels that this is a sign from Vicky. Vicky needs help. Something is wrong in the past. And finally, this is confirmed when David takes a picture of Barnabas and Carolyn standing in front of the uh, the doors to Collinwood to the foyer. And we see in the background, the image of a woman hanging from the gallows with a noose around her neck. And it's, right. it's Victoria Winters, who is now being played by Carolyn Groves, the third and final actress to play Victoria Winters. Mm-hmm. The role was originated, of course, by Alexandra Moltke, uh, iconic. Everyone, you know, we think of Vicki Winters. It's, it's right, Alexandra right. It was Moltke. her. It's sure. her. It's her. Yeah. I mean, she she owned that role, but Betsy Durkin took over the role for a time and she did an admirable job. And so did Mm -hmm. Carolyn Groves in the short time that she played the character as well. Well, Carolyn Groves really kind of looked like Alexandra Mulkey too. Yes. They they did look similar, you know, similar hair colors, size of their face, the blue eyes. Mm -hmm. They really did a good job with the casting. But you know, it was funny, like as I was watching these episodes again, the whole thing with Vicky's clothes coming back. So you've got Mrs. Johnson moving Vicky's clothes into a box along with the music box. And the first thing I thought was that David and Amy were messing with everybody because yeah. they were two evil little kids. <laughs> <laughs> They were, I think it was a little from column A and a little from column B going on there. There there was a, there were both aspects at play because part of it was, was David and Amy uh, at Quentin's behest uh, kind of messing with everybody because they wanted, Barnabas wanted to take them away to bring them to Boston. Boston. Yeah. But but then the Vicky stuff starts happening and David and Amy are a little baffled by it. And there's even one scene where Amy calls Quentin on the phone and on the old telephone. Yeah. Did you do that? (laughs) Yeah. And Quentin says, Quentin's just as baffled as we are, (laughs) which is wonderful. I love that. (laughs) It's like Quentin's like, I don't know. Let me phone a ghost. Let me see. You're right, right. Yes. Only on dark shadows. Um, but um, yeah, so uh things con- uh, culminate, uh, of course, in the graveyard. Uh right. the, the grave of Peter Bradford. Oh, and then yeah. yeah, and then this freshly dug grave appears in Evil Hill Cemetery, and then a gravestone appears. This is Victoria mm-hmm. Winters on it. So unlike the first round of events where Phyllis Wick switched places with Vicky at the gallows uh, at the last minute, and Vicky was whisked back to the present. There right. is no Phyllis. We don't know where Phil, where did Phyllis Wick go? I don't know. She is out in the ether. Some poor Phyllis Wick has vanished from the universe, apparently. Maybe maybe well, didn't didn't Phyllis Wick die on the gallows when she switched places with her in 1795? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she she's did. so she's dead. So this time Vicky is now in the past here. Mm-hmm. She's she's back, she's back and she's gone back to the past. And Barnabas determines that he must go find uh, okay. Vicky and say Vicky. So I'm gonna just throw this out there. Like, what are what are your overall thoughts on this side? I I I it's I almost wasn't going to count it as a storyline because it's so short, but it really is yeah. its own encapsulated storyline. It lasts, including the buildup to it and the actual trip to 1796. It lasts about two weeks, which is as long right. as the as the 1995 storyline uh, lasts down the road, uh, which I will definitely devote an episode to, to 1995 for sure as well. And I said, well, you know, this is this kind of counts as its own encapsulated storyline because it's completely right. disconnected from what's going on at Collinwood in the present day. So anyway, right. what, what are your thoughts? just generally on this storyline. 
So I, I thought it was kind of cool. So I'm I'm kind of a geek when it comes to all of these things about timelines and you know <laughs> and time paradoxes and all of those kinds of things. So I was really kind of you know I was kind of paying attention to some of those things. But I think it was a really cool idea that there was some sort of you know some sort of way that Vicky was reaching out through from the past to um, to get Barnabas's attention. And I thought about something really interesting about the note, first of all, the mm. note in the music box. So if you think about time travel and you think about what could be standing in the same place years later, it was the house, right? And certain yeah. things about the house. So if you were trying to get somebody's attention in the future, you in your present time would go and leave a note someplace where you know they'd find it. Mm-hmm. you know, something like that. So that's the first thing I thought of when I saw the note. It's like, did she somehow get a note stuck into the music box before mm-hmm. she got jailed or something like that that allowed her to, you know, to to make sure that somebody would see it? The only thing I think that was interesting about that was that, that they were saying, um, uh, Grayson Hall was saying, um, she was going, it doesn't look like Vicky's handwriting. Right. So that was the one thing that was a little bit, a little bit weird about that. Now, then we get to the pic- the picture. Now, that was just such a cool effect to actually have that, you know, have that in the uh, in the photograph. And that, that certainly at that point, I was going, okay, this isn't David and Amy messing with these guys. Yeah. It's beyond that. <clears throat> and then when they go, uh, you know, when um, they go to uh, um, the graveyard, the graveyard, and Vicky's stone appears, then you know that you know time is time is changing in the past, and um, Barnabas needs to go do something to help. I, I like the idea that you didn't need a seance to travel through time. You actually could just petition somebody spiritually from the past or the future. Um, to basically will you into that that period of time. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a I thought that was a cool way to transport Barnabas back. The one thing I did question and and help me with this because I can't remember was Barnabas already dead in 1796 or presumed dead was he he was a he was a vampire in 1796 correct but yeah the period in the timeline where he arrived in 1796 he was already a vampire at that point he was already a vampire his family thought he was dead yes mm-hmm. a few down. people knew a few people knew he was right. still a vampire. Ben knew. Ben knew that he was, ben, he was a yep. vampire, and mm-hmm. his and Ben's da- and um, Barnabas's dad knew. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the thing that got me about this that I was kind of questioning was, okay, like in the first, the first time travel thing where Vicky goes back in 1795, and and she displaces Phyllis Wick, right? Mm-hmm. And Phyllis Wick comes forward. Okay, so now we've got this one where Barnabas is going back in time. So I was wondering why they didn't have present day Barnabas displace uh, 1796 Barnabas where they switched places. Oh, that would have been interesting. That would have been really cool. All of a sudden, 1796 Barnabas is going, what the hell is going on? What am I doing here? 
that would have been fascinating. Oh man, to, to transport, they swap places like transport because they don't really address how that works. Right. Uh, you know, Barnabas right. gets beseeches Peter Bradford to to bring him into the past, which Peter brought. This was the easy, easiest time travel uh, on Dark Shadows ever <laughs> because, yeah, because subsequent ones, you know, they use the I Ching or Quentin stairway into time. There are like uh-huh. way, devices and techniques to do it. This time, yeah. these is just, you know, help me come to the past so he, Peter brings him to the past but um, it's almost like the present day Barnabas he merges with the 1796 Barnabas and they become one uh, being uh, so he has the he's in the body of the 1796 Barnabas but he has all the knowledge of the present day Barnabas right, uh, and right. so it's uh, but they, in in when they do the I Ching time travel, it's he astrally projects his spirit into his past body and they explain it that way. So I assume it's a similar uh, technique at play here, but it's uh-huh. um, he seems to physically disappear from the present and merge with his past self. I think right. a, a swap would have been fascinating because then you would have had that version of Barnabas operating in the present day. And right. oh, that would have been really cool. Definitely. Um, that would have been cool. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I wonder, and I wonder too, you know, so again, it, because, you know, being geeky about time things like this time paradoxes, it's almost like to me, it would have made better sense for them to swap so that one was displacing the other. And again, you and I talked about this before when Barnabas first meets Victoria Winters, why didn't he know who she was because of all of this time travel? I always chalk these things up to the mysteries of time travel because Uh in the present day timeline, when Barnabas met Vicky in 1967, the seance had not yet been held that sent her back into the past. Therefore, Right. That didn't take place. Yeah, it's it's I mean, time travel is so confounding, you know, to, to try to explain it. But after the seance, he has now met Vicky in 1795. And it seems as though at least initially, Barnabas seems to almost have two sets of memories of what took place. At least that's the sense I get. He remembers Phyllis Wick, but he also remembers Victoria Winters. Uh, he seems to. And, and when he's talking about Vicky, he talks about remembering her in the past. So right. per- perhaps the the new uh, series of events, the altered series of events eventually like supersedes the old series of events. But maybe there's a period of time where he remembers both sets of events yeah. um, because we see this happen uh, later, a, sim- a similar uh, instance with uh, David and Amy, where uh-huh. Quentin's ghost, you know, obviously takes possession of them and, and corrupts them and has them do awful things. Uh, right. And then they become terrified of Quentin's ghost and Quentin almost kills David. And Barnabas, after altering events in 1897, Quentin's ghost no longer exists. Quentin doesn't die in 1897. He is now immortal. Yet David and Amy in the present day still remember Quentin's ghost. They still right. remember what Quentin did. So they must have two sets of memories, one of the previous timeline and then one of the altered timeline, which must be really confounding. And I think they even address this in the Big Finish audio plays uh-huh. where, where they actually literally say that when the timeline is altered, the characters have two sets of memories, the original timeline and the altered timeline. So it's really, it is confu- time travel in general, I think, in speculative fiction is very confusing. And on Dark yeah. Shadows, it's especially confusing on Dark Shadows <laughs> because they're going not only back and forth in time, but they're going into parallel time bands. And yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, 
I, I know what you mean. Um, and it is, it is definitely uh, a head scratcher. Like you could yeah. make a compelling argument that, well, since Vicky existed in the past, she's destined to go into the past. Barnabas should remember who she is when he first right. meets her. Right. Uh, but that has not yet happened in that sequence of events. So I don't know. Well, you um, know, it's like you said with your, with your uh, guests and the other shows and Dan Curtis is going, oh, don't worry about making those mistakes. Nobody's going to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes. So he was probably going, nobody's going to be able to keep track of these little time travel things we do. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. We have to remember this was prior to the advent of home video. This was, you know, this was a one and done thing, you know, and they didn't know, they didn't even know yet that it was going to go into reruns while it was on the air. Dan Curtis was brilliant enough to sort of package it, sell it into syndication after Mm -hmm. the fact. But um, if you think about it too, I mean, people take stuff like this for granted in pop culture now days in TV shows and movies where, oh yeah, time they do time travel and, and all this and it's and these crazy ideas like this, um, and astrally projecting and uh, mm-hmm. things like this. This Dark Shadows was very groundbreaking. Yeah. I mean they, they they put some thought into it. It was not, you know, just like, okay, let's kind of play with this. I mean, when Barnabas comes back, you know, he comes back as as a non-vampire. And it's like you're kind of sitting there questioning, okay, how is he going to come back? Which way is he going to come back? He came back through the coffin, which right. was just an amazing thing. Uh, I, I thought that was very cool. I thought that was that was a really good way to tell that story. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm going a little bit out of out of um, out of order here, so we'll. Oh, go, that's okay. <laughs> back to talking yes. about when Barnabas goes to Professor Stokes and says, "Hey, guess what?" <laughs> Yes, because of course, Professor Stokes had given uh, Jeff Clark, aka Peter Bradford, the the herb that enabled him to to sort of, uh, and so Stokes tells Barnabas, this herb will only work for someone who actually is from that time. And Barnabas hints not so subtly that he actually is from that time, which Mm -hmm. lends credence to a a lot of people debate whether Stokes actually figured out that Barnabas in the present was actually the original Barnabas Collins, because Stokes is brilliant, you know, and he is an expert in the occult as well. So for him to have blinders on in that regard is a bit surprising, but Barnabas all but says he's from that. He just, he says, what if I am from the past, you know, uh, right. and Stokes as well, that then that's the best kept secret in Collinsport. Uh-huh. Um, and, and Julia's like, uh, <laughs> I, I, love, I love when Julia's like, just interrupts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> such a great, it's dusty in here, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, clearly Barnabas is so desperate to get to Vicky. And Julia, of course, thinks this is madness, you know, the, right. to, to do this. This is that right. he's over, over, overreacting to this. But um, as it turns out, Vicky is clearly in danger and Barnabas mm-hmm. calls upon um, uh, Peter Bradford's spirit to to bring him into the past, much as Peter did with Vicky. He brings Barnabas into the past. Barnabas is now merged with his 1796 self and is a mm-hmm. vampire again mm-hmm. with all the memories of the present and sees his servant, Ben Stokes. Uh, ben doesn't know what Barnabas is talking. Barnabas. I know. I know. He's sort of like, are you feeling okay? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's asking a vampire, are you feeling yeah. 
All right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So Barnabas is uh, thrilled now. Well, not thrilled, but he's he's here and he knows right. he can change history. So they do a recap episode, which is pretty rare. They didn't often do this, but they pulled the tapes from from 1795 and put together a clips episode mm-hmm. of what happened. And they this was a very rare. I can't really even think of another time where they took clips from another storyline and put them together to, to <clears throat> create an episode. Yeah. Uh, so we saw the original sequence of events. We know where Barnabas yes. is in the timeline where he killed Lieutenant Nathan Forbes. Yay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, I love Joel Carruthers as, as he's great and everything, but has as Nathan Forbes, it was like, okay, go ahead. Well, you know, Nathan is he's so he is. out for himself even to the point where he is trying to negotiate with the vampire who's threatening to kill him at the I point. know. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's just really like, wow, you, <laughs> you that's impressive. That takes a lot of a lot of nerve there, Nathan Forbes. So the sequ- original sequence of events, Barnabas kills for strangles yes. Forbes. Yes. But yeah. now Barnabas uh, uses a different tactic because Forbes, of course, uh, gave false testimony in Victoria Winter's trial. Mm-hmm. So Barnabas forces him to sign a confession uh, that he lied uh, on the stand. Right. Uh, and Forbes, uh, as we said, you know, Forbes doesn't initially doesn't want to do he try. He says, well, I will sign a confession if you sign a confession, Barnabas. Uh, so Barnabas yeah. bites Forbes, puts him in uh, in his power and right. forces him to sign the confession. Right. Now, right. the thing that kind of raised a, a, a question for me here is that Barnabas puts Forbes in his power. And mm-hmm. once the once the vampire bites you, you're in the thrall of the vampire. You cannot right. act against the, the vampire. And Forbes I guess Bar- maybe Barnabas didn't fully put him in his power because he did it enough to get him to sign the confession. And he's sort of mm-hmm. in this sort of catatonic state and, and right. does what Barnabas tells him. He has no will right. of his own. But then right. shortly thereafter, he's uh, he's telling Millicent that Barnabas yep. is, is a vampire. And then yep. later on, he, he Natalie. He's trying to put a stake through his heart. Count, Countess Dupre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, that does, that's not usually how it works with the vampires no. on Dark Shadows. Usually if you're the victim of the vampire, you, you lose your will. You're, you're, you are in the control of the, you cannot. That's right. Yeah. You're controlled to do what they want you to do. Right. So it seemed uh, seemed perplexing that that Forbes would be able to to resist that or maybe Barnabas is maybe Barnabas didn't fully put him in his, in his power just enough to, to get him to do what he wanted him to do. I, I don't I really don't know that that one. If anybody has any theories on that one, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, it seemed he, he was like in this catatonic state until Millicent comes to the jail cell and then all of a sudden he sort of snaps out of it. Yeah. Starts talking to him. And now, I mean, you know, other people that have been bitten by Barnabas, like Willie and and Maggie um, and even Carolyn, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like they all had the same sort of like sickness about them. Right. Yeah. They were really wide awake at night and they were really lethargic and, you know, just like terrible in the daytime. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it really, it kind of, it didn't follow the, um, it didn't follow the usual, um, the usual behavior or the the rules that they had set up about how people would behave if they had been, if they had been, you know, under the control of Barnabas. So yeah. I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe. 
maybe yeah, some people different. aren't maybe some people aren't as uh susceptible like maybe there there's uh, some people that that aren't that can resist because you mm -hmm. see it a cup happen a couple more times later in the show with yeah. um i know sebastian shaw at one point seems to be able to state want to stake roxanne and there's another mm -hmm. scene where sky rumson kind of shows barnabas his, his fang marks from megan todd so i don't i some maybe there's some people that ha, are just innately able to resist to some degree i, I don't know it just seems seems a, a bit of an inconsistency there that forbes yeah. was initially because clearly forbes was like glazed over yeah <laughs> it's like yes i will sign that confession yeah. um which clears uh peter bradford the confession is enough to, to clear yeah. peter bradford and get yeah. him out of prison but sadly it is not enough to clear victoria winters yeah uh, because there's too much evidence against uh, vicky thanks to uh you know accusations for Trask, accusations from Abigail and manipulations yeah. from Angelique to yeah. frame yeah. Vicky to make it look like she's so Vicky had a lot going poor Vicky. It's like I you know. know, she had a lot going against her there. It's <laughs> like really bad. But I will say one more thing about Nathan Forbes about him being bit by Barnabas. Mm -hmm. Nathan Forbes was so rotten. Yes. <laughs> it just didn't, it just didn't really influence him in the way that it should because he was just so rotten to begin with. That maybe there you go. Maybe he is such a narcissist and so yes. self-centered that nothing can overcome his own arrogance, uh, his own sense of 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 self. You know, is it's true. Reasserted it's, itself. It's possible. Maybe yeah. he has a stronger will. You know, uh, yeah. Maybe well, so. <laughs> but I love I love how Barnabas caught him though, like because he knew what Nathan was going to do with the crossbow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, double crossed him and was like, what's the matter? Had different plans for me? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, love that too. I love that too, where he comes up from behind and like, he's, he's, he's calling him. He's like, what's the matter of Forbes? You know, he's like in the room somewhere and you I hear know. the dogs howling outside. I love, that's one thing I love uh, too on Dark Shadows is definitely a callback to, to Dracula, uh, yeah. you know, with, with the animals are unsettled in the presence mm -hmm. of the vampire and, and Barnabas, with Barnabas is you always hear the, the dogs howling uh, in the background when yes. Barnabas is near and, and when, especially when he's craving blood, you'd always hear those, those dogs howling. It's such a great effect and so atmospheric. Uh, it is very much. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So Peter's cleared. Vicky is stuck in prison. Um, right. Uh, Barnabas tells Ben this and they're on the docks, uh, which I always love it when they show the docks because it's such a yeah. Collins port, you know, they're on the docks and here comes a lady of the night, Crystal. And, Bar and Barnabas is hungry. Barnabas is hungry. It's it's dinner time. So yeah. here comes Crystal. Poor Crystal Cabot comes and she she recognizes Barnabas, mm -hmm. um, who um, most of the townspeople believe that Barnabas has gone away, left for England. Uh, yes. the, the family knows he died, but the, the townspeople think he left for England. So I guess if they see Barnabas, because he's for Vicky's hanging, he's standing right there among the jailers. So they must have thought maybe, oh, Barnab Mr. Barnabas is back in town, <laughs> I mm -hmm. guess, you know. Right. Uh, so uh, so Crystal Cabot approaches Barnabas, he recognizes him. And uh, in one of the strangest uh, attacks on for Barnabas, he, he bites Crystal uh, Cabot and then bites her and then he stops and then bites her again. Uh, and, then, and then she falls, she, she gets away and falls in the water. I don't know what, maybe, maybe he, I don't know. It was kind of, maybe, I don't know why he did it twice. Did you notice that? Like he kind I of did. I was, I was thinking maybe he was feeling guilty because. Oh yeah. Okay. He's yeah. human Barnabas come back and displaced a vampire. Yes. 
you know, and he's probably feeling conflicted. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's fighting his urge to do. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it is. He's fighting the urge to, he went bitter and then he stopped himself and then he did it again and she got away and, and drowned. She fell, she fell right. into the water and died. Yeah. And, because well, I, I remember one thing that Jonathan Fritz said in an interview about being Barnabas the vampire, that he kind of approached it from being a human being with this affliction and always kind of kind of, you know, approached it in that way when he was playing that character. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and it makes total sense what you're saying, like that he's fighting that urge to do that. Ultimately she, she, she dies, uh, though. And then he goes back to Colin. There's such, that's such a great, I love this. This is so, it's so Angelique. It's such an Angelique thing to do. Like Mm -hmm. Barnabas gets back to Collinwood. He's uh, in his father's uh, study. And then he turns around and there's the corpse of Crystal Cabot, (laughs) drowned Crystal Cabot, dead in the chair. And Barnabas is horrified. You know, how is this, how is this uh, dead body here of this woman that I just killed? And he leaves the room to get Ben and he comes back and there's this great, the great shot of the hand with the rings yes uh, and it just it just pulls back and it's angelique sitting in the chair and it's like yay angelique's back i know <laughs> and great. you know it was really good and i i thought it was really like when they show crystal cabot there like drowned she really looked gruesome and dead and yes it was like i thought to myself as i was watching this i was like Geez, no wonder why I had nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> this. Yes. this is pretty damn creepy. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And uh, I, I've said, I said this in the last episode that I did with uh, Stephen Sullivan. It's like Dark Shadows, it really did things that would get under your skin, especially when mm-hmm. you were a kid. I, mm-hmm. I Similarly, I had terrible nightmares watching Dark Shadows and I always came mm-hmm. back for more uh, mm-hmm. because it's it's the kind of fear that, that heightens your sen- senses, which is what terror yes. is. It wants yeah. It's it's fascinating. Like you want you want to see more of it, and something like that, you know, with it's just such a creepy visual uh, to include that scene, and it is it is definitely uh, a memorable and messed up kind of thing. To, to yeah, see. it really was. Oh, yeah. I, I meant to mention another little childhood thing about Dark Shadows that I used to do all the time. I used to love to draw bats. Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Just in like in your notebook and stuff. Oh yeah, I used to draw bats in my notebook. I used to make little ghosts out of tissue paper and <laughs> and take a black marker and make little eyes. Right. All inspired by dark shadows. But, I remember. Um, I remember making the ghosts with those like uh, uh, dum dums. You know the 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 yes the, the, the lollipops. The and lollipops. Put, yeah. Ta- yeah. Yeah. So Angelique doing that was just amazing, and uh, I I thought it was like it was like hello, I'm back again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, because the last time we saw Angelique was in the present day. Uh, mm-hmm. She had been Cassandra and then she was vampire. Angelique was turned into a vampire for a time. Mm-hmm. And we didn't see her again after that. Presumably, uh, well, we find out here actually what happened. She was as punishment for not succeeding in the present day and returning the vampire curse to Barnabas. She was returned to 1796 uh-huh. with her memories of the future intact and forced to relive her life in that time period. Uh, Mm -hmm. Angelique's timeline, talk about time travel conundrums. And someday I'm going to just devote an entire episode to exploring Angelique's timeline in Dark Shadows because it's confounding, especially when you get to the last year of the show. It's kind of difficult to make sense of it, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try someday. Um, But so 
Okay, so Angelique is here. So what were what, what your thoughts with this 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 whole um, bargain Angelique proposes to Barnabas? So so first thing I think is Angelique, I'm like, did Angelique basically come in spiritually and use Crystal Cabot's dead body as a vehicle? That was my first thought. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, what happened to Crystal Cabot's body? Angelique's mm-hmm. body. So she must have somehow, you know, basically spiritually possessed the body and took it as her own. And she was, she was, you know, made, made whole again, um, the whole bargain. So here's my thing about Angelique. I mean, I love Angelique as a witch and of course she's an evil witch. And, you know, I have my, I have some conflicting feelings about evil witches versus good witches, but (laughs) the biggest thing that I, I see about Angelique is she's certainly a human being. She's certainly a a very and, and, and the thing that I I find kind of interesting is that she is this fragile human being, a fragile woman, and she's so obsessed with Barnabas and Barnabas's love and wanting Barnabas. It's like it is like that unattainable thing. I mean, she's a witch and she has all of these powers, and yet she cannot obtain his love. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just this interesting thing. I think, okay, look, she's got all these powers. She could compel him to love her if she wanted to, right? I mean, love spells, one of the easiest things that a witch could do. And so I find her to be sort of like this, you know, sort of a contradiction. She's powerful on one end and she's totally weak on the other as far as, as far as how she behaves. But the whole- Barnabas is her Achilles heel in many ways. I mean, he, she exactly. wants him to come to her willingly, which he did originally. Right. So she wants him to come to her willingly and she won't use her powers to compel him to love her, which is frustrating because that she's, like you said, she can't have Barnabas's love, or maybe she knows it's there. And Barnabas is the one who's denying it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Barnabas, you know, I mean, Barnabas was, you know, typical, typical guy, you know, having an affair with Angelique before, you know, before he actually um, was engaged to Josette or while he was engaged to Josette. I mean, he was, you know, even as a human being, Barnabas was a very flawed character. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, ultimately Angelique was, is a human. So, you know, her feelings were definitely stomped upon by, by his behavior. I just find it interesting. Like he didn't come to her of his own volition because she still manipulated the situation. She Mm -hmm. made his sister sick, you know, in order to compel him, Mm -hmm. you know, to want to marry her. She bargained with him. So I, I, I would love to just talk about Angelique sometime. (laughs) So, yes. <laughs> well, there's um, but, there are many episodes that could be devoted to, to Angelique. A whole podcast yeah. could be devoted to, to Angelique. Absolutely. She's, com- she's a complex character. Like Barnabas, she is a complex character. She like, is. She, it's not just black and white with her. She's, you know, she does really evil things, but yeah. to her, what she's doing isn't necessarily evil. It's she wants her way, you know, she right. wants to do, but she doesn't care who she hurts to get what she wants, which- right. Uh, is evil, you know, but, you know, to her, she might not, maybe she doesn't see it that way. 
but <laughs> she's murdered quite a few people along the way, uh, no. as has Barnabas too. I mean, they're very, in a lot of ways, they're, they're very similar, um, they are. Uh, to, to each other. Um, so this bargain is, you know, she will save Vicky's life if, right. if Barnabas agrees to stay right. as husband and wife, which they are, they were married during 1795, that right. she, he would stay with her in that time and not return to that's the right. present. That's right. And Barnabas reluctantly agrees to this. Vicky must go to the gallows. She has to be hanged as a witch on the right. gallows uh, and that she will put her under a spell just before the hanging and she will release her from the spell after this. Mm-hmm. Then Ben Stokes, of course, thinks this is a terrible idea to trust mm-hmm. Angelique yeah. because he knows Angelique all too well because she was uh, did some pretty awful things. to. She made Ben do some pretty bad things as well. Oh, yeah. He was definitely her puppet for a long time. Yeah. So he's, he's said, uh, no, don't, don't trust Angelique. This is a mm-hmm. bad idea. But Barnabas is left with very little uh, alternative here. Angelique doesn't like, doesn't like Vicky uh, either because Barnabas has feelings for, for Vicky um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, Vicky, I never felt that Vicky reciprocated those feelings in that way. I think Vicky was very fond of Barnabas and cared deeply yes. for Barnabas, but yeah. never felt any romantic attraction to Barnabas. Whereas Barnabas saw in many ways, Vicky is, he loves Joe. He loves Josette, this ideal of Josette. And right. while Maggie looks like Josette, Vicky actually is more similar to Josette in, in her demeanor, in his eyes, you know? Yeah. And talk about, talk about not wanting to compel somebody to be with you through supernatural control. He never wanted to do that to Vicky, Vicky either. Yeah, yeah, he he resisted the urge to do that. He finally he, he finally succumbed to that when when she came back from 1795 after after she was whisked back to the present. He mm-hmm. that was when he finally bit her at that time and was going to run off with her to quote unquote marry her, uh, which I assume he was going <laughs> to turn her into a vampire at that point. Yeah, so you know he, he agrees to this bargain with Angelique and yeah. Nathan's in jail now. Nathan Forbes he tries to tell Millicent about Barnabas and mm-hmm. Millicent is troubled because of Nathan. Nathan has really messed with Millicent's mind. Poor, poor, fragile Millicent is. Yes. Uh, anyway, he's trying to tell her uh, she doesn't. What's going on? What's going on? And then we get to Vicky's hanging, uh, and Peter Bradford is very reluctant. Right. This better work kind of thing, and Angelique is supposed to meet them there. She's supposed to be there, and she doesn't show up. Right. She doesn't right. show. And she's her, a no show. <laughs> and her plan, her plan is she did really did put a, a spell on Vicky, but she was going to wake her up in in a coffin and let her die in a coffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the whole plan of that, which was yeah. like. It's, it's just so, it's just so, I mean, I think the difference between Barnabas and, and Angelique is their moral compasses. Yeah. And doesn't have one for the most yeah. part. And yeah. Barnabas does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Barnabas has one when it's convenient for him. Right. right, Yeah. Most of Angelique sometimes does it occasionally, especially as the show goes on and Mm -hmm. she, she evolves as a character. There are definitely signs that she actually cares more than she lets on, or maybe she develops, she evolves as a character. Maybe she develops more human feelings as time goes on, you know, and somewhat develops more empathy again, though, 
if it benefits her when it when it doesn't benefit her she's kind of ignores that uh as, right. we, as we see in some instances later on right. as well right. um uh, vicky has, has is appears to be dead mm-hmm. barnabas is devastated peter bradford's devastated they bring her yeah. body back to Collinwood yeah. uh, and Barnabas comes up with this uh, plan to, to kill Angelique, to kill Angelique. Yeah. Uh, which is a really memorable scene on dark shadows and amazing that they actually got, were able to do this on daytime television with the budget that they had, the effects that they had mm-hmm. where uh, Angelique shows up as, as, as she said she would to meet with Barnabas at that time in the tower. And Barnabas says, I can't believe you actually came, you know, and then bursts into the room with the yeah. torch. Yeah. Burns Angelique, sets her ablaze uh, on live to tape TV. Yes. <laughs> Which had blood curdling shrieks coming from the tower. I mean, this is something right out of a Hammer horror film. It lo- looked like, mm-hmm. you know, very yeah. much you know, burning the witch in the, in the tower room with the, the torch. And this is a recurring thing too, where, where on dark shadows, which I mean, they're pulling obviously from sadly from history and, and folklore as well, where fire is the go-to weapon to cleanse for witches. Yes. Yeah. And wit, Angelique is, you know, th- that's her weakness. That's Angelique's weakness is fire. Uh, yeah. Like, like the wooden stake for the vampire and the silver right. bullet for the werewolf. It's the right. fire for the, for the witch. Right. Uh, and the interesting thing about about that though, I was listening as I was watching that the screams, the, the the screams were the same taped screams they had for when Maggie was having all the nightmares when she first got bit by Barnabas. Yes. Yep. Have that scream too. It's a really good scream. It really is. Yeah. Yep. It's it's awesome. I thought it was. I remember. They're, they brought in an actress to record screams and she didn't yeah. do a very good job. And then Catherine Lee Scott herself did the, did screams, the screams, right? And they yeah. were and they were great. And I wonder if that's her screams. I wonder if those are her yeah. screams. I'm I mean, curious it's, that, yeah. Hmm. That's one I'd love to, if somebody knows the answer to that one, drop me, uh, drop me an email. Cause I'm kind of curious about that. I, I'm, I wonder if those were Catherine's screams that were used for Angelique. Well, um, that was the same scream that they use when she has a nightmare about seeing her body in the coffin and turns to a skeleton. And I think it's also the same screams that they used for the dream curse. Oh yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think you're right. An interesting uh, little irony here too. I'm going to throw out um, Bathia Mapes, who was the, the the good witch, the white witch, who was brought mm-hmm. in to try to remove the curse from Barnabas in 1795. Mm-hmm. Angelique set her on fire, cast a spell to burn to burn her alive. She oh killed Bathia. Angelique killed Bathia Mapes to stop her from removing the curse from Barnabas. So she went up in flames. Um, she burned a white witch. So this is kind of an interesting turn of events here, like uh, just desserts in a way, because she yeah. did it to. Thaya, so she gets the, the the same treatment. Of course, they say we've just destroyed Angelique for good, which is, of course, as we know, is not not the true. Case. <laughs> <laughs> we will see Angelique many times, thankfully. Uh, after this, she's, she's so much fun to watch. Her and just, and the scenes with her and uh, Jonathan Frid are just sensational. They're just really and she has such expressive eyes. She's got those big green eyes, and they're very expressive. And she really, you know, she can say a lot just by looking in the camera or looking at whoever she's, you know, whoever she's staring at. Oh, and that, that's how she got the part too when uh, for, uh you know when she auditioned for the role of angelique uh she was playing it like an ingenue uh and for jonathan frid leaned in he said you know she's she's a witch you know she's the heavy and uh she wasn't really aware of that uh so yeah. when when he told her that at the end of the scene she gave the camera 
a hell hath no fury like a woman scorned glare and yeah. uh she feels that that's what cinched the part for her during the audition um she's she's told that story a few times yeah so um yeah. so angelique is out of the picture now she's yeah. been she, uh vicky wakes up from suspended animation uh mm-hmm. here and is reunited with peter bradford uh and I, I almost feel like this storyline was created specifically to give Victoria Winters a proper send off because the last time we saw Vicky was a couple of weeks earlier. It was played by Betsy Durkin and she got pulled into the past with Peter Bradford and then Vicky's gone from the show. Right. So, and uh, this is a kind of a nice, I mean, I wish it had been Alexandra Moltke, but it's a nice uh, send off for the character with her between her and Barnabas saying goodbye. Like she says goodbye to Barnabas um, right. and that he, she feels he will always be with her no matter what yeah Um, you know i thought that was nice later on sadly uh (laughs) during the leviathan storyline we find out as many things on dark shadows uh are uh, there's no happy ending here it looks like peter and peter and vicky are going to go out west where nobody knows them and start a new life together and it sounds like vicky has a happy ending but then uh a little over uh, a little over a year later uh about a year and a half later (laughs) during the leviathan storyline we find out that vicky and peter at some point came back to collinsport and vicky was murdered by uh jeb hawks an earlier incarnation of the elder god the leviathan leader jeb hawks shoved vicky off widow's hill and killed her and then and then uh peter pushed jeb off widow's hill and then peter was hanged for murder so uh (laughs) it was a really sad ending for vicky winters and uh I, I would have liked to have well, at least one half. Can Vicky at least have a happy ending? Come on. Uh, but no, Vicky, sorry, folks. Fans were very upset about that, but it did happen in the show and it is canon. That's how Vicky goes. But as we right. know, nobody stays dead on Dark Shadows. There's a way yeah. to bring Vicky yeah. back. Very yeah, easily can be done. Very easily can be done. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> all right. So now that the Vicky story is resolved, um, right. Barnabas is, determines that he must return to the present uh, right. and calls to Julia to, to bring him back. Like he told Julia to meet him at a designated place at a certain time. At eight o'clock. Yep. At, at eight o'clock to call him back to the present. Mm-hmm. Um, because on Dark Shadows, it seems like a time, the way they describe time is that time is, it's almost like you can on-ramp into any time period because it, it's always repeating itself. Every day that you have ever lived exists currently running concurrently with what you're doing now. So if you can find a way to step out, say from today to yesterday at this exact time, it exists, it, it's there. And that's kind of right. how they they often reference time that way in Dark Shadows. So at this designated time, concurrent with what's happening in 1796, Barnabas wants Julia to will him to the present. Right. Uh, but uh, things don't work out. It doesn't. No, work. they don't. But I like the idea of that, that theory because that's almost like, that's like parallel universe, like these veils and, mm-hmm. you know, and you're standing in the same place in a different dimension at the same time, you mm-hmm. know, you walk through the veil into the next dimension, into the next, into the next parallel, you know, the next parallel universe or the next parallel existence that's right next to you. Mm-hmm. So that idea of that, but yeah, it wasn't working for them. I guess um, somebody's, spiritual will was not enough to make it happen <laughs> apparently not julia julia was too busy uh giving people sedatives and she just didn't have, 
<laughs> After Barnabas and Ben destroy Angelique, um, mm-hmm. we find out Countess Natalie Dupre saw Barnabas leave the tower room and she was under, she saw Barnabas die. She saw his body. So right. Millicent confirms to her that she has seen Barnabas. Uh, right. And so the Countess figures out that, uh, you know, she makes some comment about a wood, Nathan and the wooden stake. And the Countess uh, figures out that Barnabas is a vampire. Mm-hmm. And the Countess plans to avenge Josette's death. Mm-hmm. Um, Josette, of course, who threw herself from Widow's Hill uh, so that she wouldn't become a vampire. Right. Um, you know, uh, 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 the Countess is going to avenge Josette's death, her, her uh, niece. So she goes to the jail, gets uh, Nathan Forbes out. Uh, meanwhile, Ben uh, is asked to chain Barnabas in the car because Barnabas mm-hmm. decides he needs to be chained in the coffin to be found the same way that Willie found him in the present day. Right. So my question, I, I assume that once Barnabas maybe uh, is in the coffin, that somehow his his spiritual essence will then transfer into the present because it's like, will Barnabas just be sitting in that coffin for 200 years going, all right, only another yeah. <laughs> another 120 years to go, you know, like, is he going to, yeah. or, or is it just something where he, when he goes into his death sleep during the day, when he wakes up, he'll be in the press. Like it's, they don't really explain that. That's kind of, they a don't. yeah, that's kind yeah. of a conundrum too, because that is what kind of happens is he, he's chained in the coffin and then boom he's back in the he's in the present day and he's suffocating because he's human he's back to being human again yeah yeah he's suffocating in the coffin right yeah the chains show up on the coffin and he's he's brought back into the coffin in his human state but anyway uh before that happens of course the countess uh and forbes attempt to destroy barnabas they attempt to drive a stake through his heart and ben saves the day ben actually comes in and stops them but in a really gruesome violent scene for dark shadows i thought yeah (laughs) uh because but ben ben who has a gentle soul um i saw i definitely saw some shades of matthew morgan here when he was me uh, too yeah very brutal killing of uh, Forbes. And don't get me wrong, Forbes kind of, <laughs> Forbes deserves to, to kind of, it just was very harsh the way he, he broke his back, like on the steps of the- Yeah, uh, of the I was really, home. I was really kind of sitting there though, when Ben killed Forbes, I was like, I was thinking, which way did I like Forbes dying better? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when, but when he killed uh, Countess Dupre, that was very, very sad. And that was sad, yeah. You know, and it was like he he didn't want to, but he couldn't control his own fright and his own terror and his own strength and his own, you know, his own his own person. He wasn't exactly the most, you know, the most uh, together person mentally or physically. And yeah, he but he was a gentle person and he felt really, really remorseful about it, you know, and was beside himself about what to do mm-hmm. after the fact. Yeah. Save uh, Barnabas because he was dedicated to saving Barnabas because Barnabas treated him so well. It's true. Yeah. Barnabas and Barnabas never put Ben on in his power or anything. No, he never just, did. He was in life. Barnabas was kind to Ben. Yeah. Uh, and taught him to read and write and uh, and treated him like a human being. Yeah. Uh, unlike Barnabas's father, Joshua, who did, did not treat Ben very well. No, uh, not at all. So Barnabas, uh, Ben was devoted to Barnabas. Bar- in many ways, Ben served as Barnabas's conscience. Like he would try mm-hmm. to stop him from doing terrible things. But Ben here now 
needs Barnabas's help. You know, he's like, what do I do? I need you to tell me what to do. You know, he, he buries the bodies. Yeah. Um, and uh, Barnabas says, you know, say the Countess went back to Paris and you haven't mm-hmm. seen Forbes at all. And of course, we're going to see this revised yet again, because they're going to go back to 1795, 1796 yet again later on and things are going to be altered again not with Forbes uh, so much but with the, with the Countess some different things are going to happen with Countess Natalie Dupre uh, mm-hmm. so they keep they really like going back to 1795 slash 1796 and changing things but well, you ever uh, hear of, you know you know the whole idea of the, uh, the butterfly effect yes yeah you want to do you want to elaborate on that well the whole idea that well the whole thing is they say if you crush a butterfly's wing how many different things does it does it effect from that one small change mm-hmm. you know? um so it's kind of the same thing it's like the butterfly effect it, it would have been really interesting if somebody had thought about when they may go back and make a change how it changed things in, in the future if they played with that i think that would have been a very cool thing to do yeah. You know, like they go back to 1795 again or 1796 and Countess Dupre is there, you know, but now a whole nother story plays out, you know, and then you get to the point where you see some crossover of something that happened in the last time they visited that that time period. And then there's some choices to be made. Sort of like what they did with Forbes, because mm-hmm. they talk about him trying to kill Barnabas and Barnabas kills him one way. But then when Barnabas comes back, he did exactly that. He changed it. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's kind of interesting. Again, you know, we could talk, we, we, maybe we could have a conversation and like go through all of the different time things and then talk about how that all kind of pieces together or get some, get some feedback on, on the whole time continuum, you know, time paradox, mm-hmm. parallel universe type of thing. I think that would be an interesting thing to, to dedicate, you know, a, a talk to. Sure. Yeah. There's so much time travel that happens on Dark Shadows that mm-hmm. uh, uh, between all the different storylines that, and then we start seeing parallel universes show up too, that mm-hmm. uh, one wonders what is happening to the fabric of time around Collinsport. Like there is, mm-hmm. there have to be consequences for, for that ultimately, I think, because there's so much tinkering and messing with, with the timelines that something catastrophic could happen. Um, and I think that would have made for an interesting storyline, like a crisis, yeah. a time travel crisis, where because of the characters doing all of this tinkering in time, that it's going to affect things in a really bad way, unless right. it's repaired. And then they could have done a storyline where they actually have to set things right again. Okay, so Ben kills them, and Barnabas yeah. again tells them to tells him to chain him in his coffin. Right. And, and then we cut to the present day, where we see Willie Loomis and Dr. Hoffman in the old house, and they're having a conversation about you know, Barnabas has not returned yet. Um, and, uh, what if he never, what if he never does, uh, Julia is kind of clearly, you know, she's very deeply concerned about what's going on with Barnabas and Willie is concerned. Willie checks the mausoleum. Barnabas isn't in his coffin. Uh, and then, uh, as when Willie leaves the mausoleum, he turns his back and leaves the chains appear around the coffin and Barnabas returned to the present in his human state trapped in a chained coffin 
in the mausoleum. And as far as Willie and Julia know, he is not there. Right. Um, and he's gasping for hair. Um, right. Willie returns to the old house, tells Julia Barnabas wasn't there. And he thought for sure he would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the ghost of Josette appears. Josette's ghost has appeared before when Barnabas has been in danger, uh, mm-hmm. notably, notably when uh, the ghost of Trask walled him up in the basement of the old house. So Jos- the ghost of Josette appears uh, to Willie. And Willie tells Julia about this, and then he hears the heartbeat from Barnabas mm-hmm, right. Paint, which is was a kind of a fun, it was a nice nod to the original way uh, Willie released Barnabas from the coffin. But Barnabas isn't a vampire at this point. So, you know, originally, the, you know, Barnabas is willing him to come to the, to the mausoleum. That heartbeat is kind of just driving him on and filling his head. Barnabas isn't a vampire anymore. So my guess is that there's some, still some residual, because Julia doesn't hear the heartbeat. Um, right. But Julia was never a victim of Barnabas, whereas Willie was. So there must right. still be some link between the two of them. Right. And perhaps Dr. Lang's cure, quote unquote, isn't fully a cure. Like there, maybe there is still some vampire in Barnabas, so to speak, because otherwise, how is Barnabas able to do these things? Or how is how are these supernatural manifestations like the heartbeat in the painting? How can Willie still hear that if Barnabas isn't a vampire anymore? So maybe there's still some connection still between the two of them, perhaps. Well, I have a theory. Oh, um, go for it. Yeah. So, you like know, theories. so, so, you know, Barnabas, of course, did feed on Willie when he first attacked him back way back when he, Willie was looking for jewelry. And, um, you know, at that point, there had to have been a little bit of exchange of blood because even though Barnabas was taking his blood, you know, there probably was some sort of an exchange biologically speaking. So somehow there was, mm-hmm. somehow they remained psychically. Uh, connected. Right. That must have continued and persisted even past Barnabas's cure, the transfer to Adam of the life force, of the draining of the the curse. There still must be some element there that links them. Yeah. Uh, And so they, uh, Josette's ghost crying, between the heartbeat and Josette's ghost, Julia and Willie go back to the mausoleum and they do find the chained coffin and they get him out and he is alive. There's the the moment of suspense. Of course, we know Barnabas isn't dead, but uh, you know, there's that moment of his Willie's is like, is he alive? Is he alive? Is is he dead? And then Barnabas opens his eyes and we are back in the present. And that, that sort of wraps up this short, but memorable uh, storyline in the show. Uh, It does. Closing thoughts, uh, Robin, on the return to 1796 or on any aspect of it that you want to throw out there that you have thoughts on. So, so I've got some thoughts about, so I I think it was really done well. I, I, you know, I do, like I said, you know, sometimes I kind of, I kind of sat there and pondered some stuff about, about the time, the time aspects, but that's just me being a geek. I mean, you know, (laughs) sit there and just sort of like suspend all of your, your disbelief and everything and just, you know, allow yourself to have the fantasy of of the whole thing. It was a great fantasy. It was a great story. And, you know, it was very satisfying to see Nathan Forbes die twice. I really liked that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Angelique, at least, really did agree to put a spell on 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 Vicky because she could have faked the whole thing and just let Vicky die. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I think it was it, it showed a lot of um it showed a lot about the characters. It showed that Barnabas has a lot of love had a lot of love for Vicky and that Dr. Hoffman had a lot of love for Barnabas because she yes. would hide herself when she thought that he wasn't going to come back. 
or how he was going to come back. If he was going to come back as a vampire, she was like, she was having a really difficult time with that. I, I think that Willie as a character at this point just shows how much that he was never really a bad guy. He was always just a really kind of troubled soul and really a good person underneath it. You know, very, very dedicated to people that he cares about. Um, so, you know, you sit you there's a lot of character development that happened, you know, over all of these episodes to this point when they they did the 1796 uh, piece. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, one thing that I do, one thing I do want to mention as we wrap up, I know we're getting close to that time. A couple of things that, you know, you and I have discussed. One of them in the 1790s is the costuming. Kind of question whether, and, and I'm going to ask you, do you think that those costumes were accurate to the time? There seem to be some mixed types of fashions being, being worn, especially by the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some of the costume pieces were accurate, but I think you're mm-hmm. right. I think they mixed in a lot of things that weren't exactly accurate. Um, right. I was th- thinking more of actually the men's um, shoes uh, and the, the footwear. Uh, all the men I noticed in 1795, 1796 wear boots in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the show. But uh, if you look at like the, the 1991 series or just paintings of like George Washington and stuff, they, a lot of the times they had to look like those knee socks with buckle of shoes. With buckle with shoes. Yes. And they did that in the 91 series, but in the, the boots were more, I think for riding and stuff, but Mm -hmm. in in the 1795, the guys are always wearing those boots, no matter what, um, you don't really see the knee sock, except maybe I think once they, they had somebody like a priest or something or a pastor, but, um, but yeah, I think maybe Trask and then, but the, some of the, some of the costuming, I don't think was fully, I mean, accurate, but it was, it was, uh, evocative of that time period, you know, but not a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the Regency style was probably more accurate to that that time, the 1790s. Like, you know, what they would have Josette in or um, even what they would have Angelique in. But like sometimes when they had Victoria, they had her in something that looked a little bit later, more more like maybe 1830s or, mm-hmm. or around there. Um, you know, something that um, um, was a little bit further on in time, at least it seemed to me. So that was one of the things that I noticed about that particular segment. And I noticed it in the original one from the 1795 pieces too. You would see like, uh, you would see Naomi uh, Collins wearing one style of clothing and then you'd see, you know, Josette wearing another one and then Countess Dupree wearing another and they were all kind of different. It reminded me of like going to the Renaissance Fair. (laughs) It was still evocative of that time period, like it was, but it was a mix and match kind of thing mm-hmm. going on there. All right, uh, Robin, are you still doing the perfume business? At this point in time, I'm not. Okay. I'm maybe in 2022 to actually maybe launch another fragrance. I really have kind of uh, scaled back on it from the standpoint of um, what I'm trying to do at this point. I'm just taking it more as an art, an artistic expression. I do plan to, um, you know, to put it out on some sort of a website in the future. And if somebody wants to buy a bottle, they can. And if not, that's fine. You know, it's more for for me and for the love of actually making fragrance at this point. 
Okay. Can I can I mention two other things that we did talk about? And I wanted to mention this because it was really cool about Dark Shadows. Go for it. Okay. So one thing that I love about Dark Shadows, especially the present day, the present 1960s, was it was such a time capsule of 1960s clothing. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I think that's amazing. In fact, you know, when I started re- re-watching them, it really inspired me to create some 1960s pieces just to wear, you know, things that didn't oh, look, I love it. but actually kind of, you know, harken back to that style because it was so, it was sort of like the 1920s. The 1960s was so freeing, you know, from a, from a woman's clothing perspective, because, you know, if you had a couple of extra pounds on, nobody cared because you were wearing an A-line dress and it, it looked great on you, you know, even if you were feeling a little bit, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, out of sorts from a pound or two from, you know, the last time you put the dress on, it wasn't going to make a difference. And I just love that freedom of it. And, you know, that it really, they really, really made you look good all the time. So it wasn't something like, oh, I can't put that dress on because it's so body conscious and, you know, I ate too much this past weekend, you know, type of thing. So I really love that about the the fashion and just seeing all of the different pieces was such a time capsule of really cool clothes. Oh, totally. As far as I was, you know, for for my aesthetic. Um, So I really love that about Dark Shadows. The other thing that you and I talked about was, I would really like to know who was doing those beautiful portraits of the beautiful portraits, like of, you know, even the one that was done of Laura Collins and David and, you know, Barnabas Collins and Josette, who was doing those paintings? It's never really been talked about. Yeah, those portraits are so uh, iconic and memorable and portraits were such a a, a mainstay in Dark Shadows throughout the entire run of the series. Um, To my knowledge, they used somebody at ABC to do Mm -hmm. that. It was somebody in ABC's uh, art department that Mm -hmm. they had to do that. I don't know the name. I don't, at least over the you know years that I've been kind of immersed in in the fandom and reading the the books and the zines and stuff. I don't recall any name being yeah. thrown out uh, as far as who the artist is or yeah. or, or artists. I'm sure it was yeah. probably probably more than one person. If anybody knows who painted any of the portraits in Dark Shadows, please uh, please drop a line because I I would. I would love to know because I, 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 to my knowledge, it was somebody in, in the ABC art department or mm-hmm. multiple multiple artists that they've hired to do that and uh, and that that worked for ABC uh, and they their names were never uh, shared to my knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's it makes me kind of sad because I I look at those when I'm when I'm watching episodes and and just think to myself, geez, you know, some really talented artists were working on these pieces. Yeah, definitely. And pulling references, like I know for the Quentin uh, painting, the Dorian Gray painting, when it ages, I mean, it, it, when the old version of it is clearly uh, inspired by the Ivan Albright painting from the picture of Dorian Gray, the George Sanders mm-hmm. movie from the 40s, like it's definitely pulled inspiration from, and it looks awesome. It looks really creepy. The old man Quentin in the painting looks amazing. Yeah. So they they do some really great and the, oh of course the, the the beautiful portrait of Angelique in parallel time, the the parallel time version of Angelique. When they do the Rebecca storyline, there's an amazing uh portrait of Laura Parker. And I, I don't know who painted that. I mean, it's beautiful artwork. Like, I mean, that's a, a these are masterpieces, a, a lot of these paintings. So. Yeah. 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 Wouldn't it be amazing to actually get a hold of one of those original pieces? 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. I know Lara, Lara Parker has the one from night of dark shadows. Uh, she uh -huh. has, she has that in her house. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I know the original Barnabas painting in the foyer during the run of the show was stolen from the set. Somebody, oh my went gosh. In, yeah, wow. in, in 1970, somebody went into the set, cut the painting out of the frame and mm. stole it. So you notice it looks a bit different uh, as, yeah. as the show goes on. When you go into 1970, it's like, oh, wait a minute. The Barnabas painting looks a little bit different now. Like it's, they changed a little because it's a different painting. They repainted, they had to redo it. So um, the one that was hanging in the foyer, they had to redo, but they were all, they also did a portrait for Barnabas that Sam Evans was doing. Yes, the one in the old house. Yep, right. I wonder where that is now. Like, I wonder yeah. who, has, who owns that, you know? Anyway, all right, folks. Well, Robin, thank you so much for joining me uh, for the episode. It was great uh, geeking out with you. Uh, I felt like we we're just hanging out, geeking out <laughs> about our shadows. So that was great talking about the, this storyline. And uh, folks, if you uh, have not done so already, get your hands on the Jonathan Frid documentary. Uh, have you seen it yet, uh, Roberta? The, the I, have, I have not. It's very heartwarming and, and amazing and a, a fitting tribute to Jonathan Frid. It is available on Amazon uh, and it is also available on Apple TV. Uh, also, um, head on over to Hermes Press um, website, because hermespress.com, because they have all, they're reprinting all of the uh, Marilyn Ross Dark Shadows novels, the Dan Marilyn Ross novels. Uh, there's also the audio versions of those with Catherine Lee Scott, reading audiobook versions of the Marilyn Ross novels. So check those out as well. Uh, so lots of cool Dark Shadows merchandise out there. And I hope that more is coming because we need we need more cool Dark Shadows stuff. Can never have enough cool Dark Shadows merchandise out there. Robin, what was the closing line you came up with? Until we meet again in the Dark Shadows. Good night. And for as long as they lived, the Dark Shadows never truly dissipated for there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.